My name is Trevor Miller, one of the pastors here at the church. I'm so thankful to be able to be with you this morning in this traditional space to be able to share God's worth with you. This morning, we are in the midst of a series. This is our third week of a series called All the Feels. Has anybody enjoyed this series? Has it been helpful to anyone? Um, we were just talking this morning. I feel like this series has really spoken to a lot of deep needs we actually have right now. Um, if I think about the season that we exist within right now, uh, an interesting political season, of course. Um, you know, uh, it's coming fall, so people love the fall season. We probably have all emotions all across the board from one side to the other, changing day in and day out. Maybe yesterday, you're a Gamecock fan. I'm sure your emotions changed uh, in a few hours wildly over and over again. We all have these different emotions, these different feelings that if we're not careful, too often they become the way that we choose to live our life that oftentimes takes us away from the kind of life that God has called us to. These emotions are, are, are powerful, especially when we allow them to control us rather than actually living into them the way God has intended for us to. And so um, during this series, we've been looking at uh, the scriptures to find out the different ways that Jesus himself handled different kinds of emotions because he's the archetype of what it means to be a human being. He's the archetype of what it looks like to live this life for God. And so we look to his life as the example. And so he's shown us different ways throughout scripture how to live out these different emotions. Two weeks ago, we talked about the emotion of compassion. Uh, Dr. Bill Bachnight was in here and talked about the compassion that Jesus had for those who were far from God. He looked at them like sheep who were without a shepherd. And he had compassion upon them. And the same thing should be true for us as Christians and followers of Jesus. Do we have compassion for the world? Is that an emotion that we actually feel and we express we also talked last week, uh, Emma Murphy did a great job in an amazing series on grief, if you were here in the room, speaking to the kind of grief that oftentimes we experience within life, difficulties uh, that came up here and there and everywhere. And when we experience this kind of grief, actually, oddly enough, it's one of the closest places that we ever get to the face of God. We looked at Jesus and the way that he experienced grief when Lazarus had died, and Jesus, it says, wept. He experienced grief. And so these different kinds of emotions, the way we live these out, the way we choose to express these in the world, whether it's compassion, whether it's grief, today we're going to talk about joy. The way we express these emotions to the world, I believe, is one of the greatest opportunities we have for witness to our faith, how we choose to live these out. My daughter, Murray, just turned one year old. And in the past year, it's been awesome watching her grow up. But one of the things that, that nobody really told me, I guess I probably should have intrinsically known, but having a little girl is different than having a little boy. And so I have a nine-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy. And so I grew up, as they were growing up, uh, I was always saying to them, no, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to fall from that. You're going to burn yourself, whatever. And it was just kind of an instant reaction. No, don't do that. Well, with Murray, I didn't realize this, but over the past year, there have been multiple times where I just responded to maybe a dangerous situation she has put herself in, standing on something, about to touch something. And I would say to her, Murray, no, don't do that. And every time that I've done this, she has looked at me and her face just wrinkles up and just starts crying. And I have broken her heart just by saying no. I didn't realize I was a part of this whole thing. The emotions are so different that she's expressing from what my boys are expressed. But I've loved watching her grow up and learn how to express this emotion and these feelings. But the thing that I've enjoyed more than anything is watching her express joy. I mean, my daughter, she is a joyful individual. And watching her enjoy good food. She loves applesauce with cinnamon. Oh, man, it's like the best thing. And she will just smile ear to ear. She loves it when her brothers come and tickle her and, and make her laugh. And she giggles. When she goes outside with no shoes on and walks in the grass, you can see her just so much joy. And the way she shows it is her entire body. I mean, she just smiles from top to bottom. And you can experience it. You can see it. 
And if you're a parent in the room or a grandparent in the room, you know what I'm talking about when I say that I look at my children, all three of them, and I've seen them express such joy within their life that oftentimes I look at them and I see that's a picture of God watching the way they experience the world, the way they experience these feelings and these emotions. This is a picture of God. I would argue that the least talked about, but probably should be talked about the most, emotion and feeling expressed within Scripture about who God is, is actually the fact that God is a God of joy. God is a God of joy. It shows up in the Scriptures from the very beginning to the very end, but it is something that we often don't talk about. But I believe understanding this particular emotion that is shown throughout Scripture could be the very kind of emotion that would change our lives and the way we witness within the world. If you look at the beginning of the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, you read the story of creation. You've probably read it, maybe heard it all of your life if you've grown up in the church. And in Genesis chapter 1, this Hebrew poem that's been written, it's expressing a kind of God who enjoys creating And so you have six days of creation as God creates all that we see and know and experience. First, he creates light. Then he creates sea and sky, land and plants, sun, moon, stars, fish and birds, animals. And lastly, the pinnacle of all creation, he creates human beings. And as God creates throughout these six days, we are told that each and every time he creates something, he steps back and he takes a look at what he's done. And what does he say? It is good. It is good. And at the very end of these six days, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 32. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God looks over everything that he's created from beginning to end, and he expresses this Hebrew word in this poem. And the Hebrew word for good and very good is the word tob. Everyone say tob. Now, this particular Hebrew word is very rich. It's very deep. This word, very good, literally is translated like this. It's beauty in abundance. It's very good. It's beauty in abundance. It's very good. It's intrinsically pleasant. God seems to take joy in all the things that he makes. He's not saying these things are good because they've performed well. He's not saying they're good because he finds them useful. He says they're good because they are beautiful. They're intrinsically pleasant. He takes joy in them. He enjoys them. Here's maybe a newsflash for you this morning. When God created you, when he created humankind, he doesn't just tolerate you. And you might only tolerate yourself or your spouse, but God, he doesn't just tolerate you. God loves you. God takes joy in you. God looks at you and he says, it is good because I made you simply because you exist, simply because you are. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent in the room, again, you know what I mean when I talk about this as well. Maybe your kid has brought home some kind of artwork that they've done at school, right? Brought it home to the house and and you look at that artwork and if you're honest, you're like, this looks like spilled coffee, This looks like chicken scratch. But as a parent and a good grandparent, what do we say when our kids bring home some kind of art? We look at it and we say, this is good. This is good. Why? Not because it's a piece of Picasso art, but because our kid made it. We take joy in it. We say, this 
is good. This is what God does throughout this beginning of creation. Each time he creates something, he steps back and he says, it is good. It is full of joy. We continue to see this kind of joy of God throughout the scriptures, not just in Genesis, but also in the New Testament through the person of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a subtle piece here, but I want to look at John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It's something that kind of struck me this week as I was studying through. In John chapter 2, we see this story about Jesus, and it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. It's subtle, but what kind of shocks me in this passage is that Jesus gets invited to a wedding. For whatever reason, people wanted him there. Now, I want you to understand, weddings in the ancient Near East were not the kind of weddings that we experience today. They were not a couple hours long, some cake, and the Cupid shuffle. These weddings were very different. These ancient Near Eastern weddings were days long, and they were full of amazing food and lots and lots of wine. And so maybe you wouldn't think that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the righteous one, would be thought to be included on the guest list. But Jesus gets invited to the wedding. You may know that it's actually at this wedding he performs his first miracle in Cana as he turns water into wine. It's amazing that this couple must have thought to themselves, listen, we can invite anybody we want. Who we want? We want Jesus there. He's got to be there. Here's why I think. I think Jesus had joy. I think that when you spent time with Jesus, when you were around him, you walked away feeling better about yourself than before you showed up. I think there was something about the way he treated people, the way he spoke to people, the way he interacted with people that was inspiring. In fact, 34 times in the New Testament, 34 times this is written, that Jesus shows up and a crowd came around to hear what he had to say. 34 times we hear, and a crowd came and gathered around Jesus. There must have been something about him that caused people to want to be around him. And guess what? It wasn't just the religious people. In fact, if anything, you read the scriptures, the religious people didn't want to be around him. It's the sinners who wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. I wonder if it's because they knew that they were loved by him. I wonder if it's because they knew that he would be honest with them. I wonder if it's because when he was around them, he maybe made them laugh. Maybe there's a depth to who Jesus was that caused people to feel like they mattered. I think because Jesus expressed joy. So you you see throughout the scriptures, beginning to end in multiple different places, that joy is is an expression of who God is. It's an expression that Jesus lives within the world. And my question is this, I wonder why so many Christians today lack joy. Why we don't show joy within our life. As followers of Christ, who people who have put our faith and our hope and our trust in God, why do we not express the same kind of joy within our life? You see, I believe that joy is the emotional response to the beauty of God and the beauty of his creation. Joy is the emotional response. It wells up within us when we think about the beauty of God and the beauty of all that he has made. That is joy. I want to be very clear about what I'm not talking about today. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is very much circumstantial. We are happy when our team wins, right, Gamecock fans? And Clemson fans? We're happy when our team wins. We're happy when our spouse unloads the dishes. We're happy when it's payday. We're happy when things go our way. But joy is something different. 
Joy is the emotional response to a good God and a good creation, no matter what the external circumstances may be. Joy causes us to say that despite the pain, despite the difficulty that I face, I still have breath in my lungs and God is still for me. Joy is, is, causes us to say, listen, even though the world may feel like it's falling down, I know that God is still in control. Joy allows us to see all of creation and God himself who created it and feel deep contentment and deep pleasure. My wife and I, a couple years ago, we uh, got away just for a quick uh, little trip to North Carolina. And so we had booked this bed and breakfast, and we actually set up a fly fishing trip the next morning with um, this local guide. And so we drove up to North Carolina, and uh, the next morning we got up, we went to the river. It was a beautiful day. We caught lots of fish. My wife will tell you she outfished me. She's lying, but that's what she'll tell you. We caught lots of fish. We enjoyed the day. Later on that day, we went and we hiked John Rock and we packed the lunch and ate it on top of the, the rock and we overlooked this beautiful valley, blue skies everywhere. That night, we got back to the bed and breakfast and it snowed and there was like white snow all over the ground. It was like the perfect day. It was like this 24-hour, 36-hour period where it was just amazing. And it wasn't because of all that we were experiencing, but for her and I, as we were there in God's creation, out on the river, on the rock, seeing the snow, all of it, we were just so reminded of the goodness of God. And we said to each other, listen, there's so much joy here. Like We are enjoying this so much just simply because we believe that God is good. We believe that what he has made is good. And we've had the chance to experience it today. That's joy. It's the emotional response to a good God and a good creation. What I have found is that the line between joy and misery, though, can be very, very thin. Can it not? If it's true that joy is all around us, I wonder what causes us then to miss it so often? What causes us to not be able to see it so often? And I think it has a lot to do with this. The difference between joy and misery is a mismanagement of creation. The line between joy and misery is a mismanagement of creation. What I mean is this. Some of the people who I've met who lack joy more than others is simply those who have taken all that God has given them and mismanaged it in some serious kinds of ways. And it's resulted not in joy, but it's resulted in misery. Think about it. All of the good things that God has given us. Let's take food, for example. Food is a good gift. But how many know in the room that if it's mismanaged, it becomes miserable? God gives us relationships, and relationships handled very, very well is a beautiful thing, and it's a gift to us, but mismanagement, it, become, it becomes painful. Resources, finances, money, in and of itself, is a good thing. But when we mismanage it, it too often becomes not a blessing, but it becomes something that is uh, painful to us once again. You see, a lot of times, the difference between joy and misery is a mismanagement of all that God has given to us. I believe the joy that we can experience in life has a lot to do with all the things that God has graciously given to us within our life. See, I believe that joy is not a commodity that can be manufactured. Please hear me. It's, it's not a commodity that can be manufactured. We can't buy joy. You can't go pick it up off the shelf you can't get a big enough bank account. You can't have the perfect spouse. You can't do all the things to make joy happen. And too often we try to, don't we? Listen, if I can just get to this point in my life, then, then I'll be joyful. If I can just get this job, then I'll be joyful. If this would just happen, then I'll be joyful. If the Gamecocks would just win the national championship, then I'd be joyful. Hang on, right? 
But how many times, this is the way we live our life. If, 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 but joy is not a commodity to be manufactured, to be bought and sold, but instead, I believe that joy is a surprise that has to be captured. It can't be manufactured, it has to be captured. I believe that joy is something that sneaks up on us. Joy is something that you gotta see, and when it's there, you grab a hold of it and you hold on tight. A few years ago, my wife and I, we bought this old camper from my grandfather. And the camper was a bit rusty. We drove it down from Kentucky. He almost didn't sell it to me because it had mice in it. He didn't want to sell it to me. I said, Grandpa, I promise. We'll clean it out. It'll be fine. So he finally sold it to us. We brought it to South Carolina. We painted the inside of it to make it look nice. But it was 16 feet long. It was a 16-foot-long fiberglass egg, essentially, on wheels. And we took it everywhere. So we crammed all four of my family into that. This was pre-Murray. And then we would drive to the beach at Pirate Land. We would park next to 42-foot-long campers right next to us. You know, they got like like satellite dishes on top. And they've got like fold-out porches with little things. And they've got like a shower in their camper. All the nice things. Big refrigerator. And we're like over here like, hey, guys, we got a bathroom. And that's it inside. Y'all are nice and cool over there with the air conditioner. Ours is struggling to keep up in June at the beach in Myrtle Beach. But I'm not going to lie to you. For the years that we had that camper, for all the reasons that we could have been frustrated or maybe felt inadequate that we're parked next to these big old guys and we're this little thing just sitting right here, there was such joy that we found in that one little camper. And I would imagine that many in the room right now, you can think back to a time where maybe things weren't ideal. It's not what we wanted. Maybe there was something better. But we leaned into what we had, and we found joy. You see, for us, this was something that was a gift. And we leaned in, and we didn't manufacture it, but we captured it. And we talk about it still to this day. A couple years ago, too, we saw this advertisement that came out about this animatronic dinosaur thing at the Aiken Fairgrounds. And we saw this. We showed my son Eli. He was the only kid we had at the time. Eli was like, yes, we have got to go. So we're like, that sounds cool. I mean, animatronic dinosaurs. I mean, that'd be kind of a cool thing. So we drove to Aiken. And we pulled up in the Aiken Fairgrounds to this, next to this big barn. There was one car in the parking lot. And we thought, uh-oh, what have we done? So we got out of the car. And we're like, this is going to be fine. I'm sure it's a great thing. We walked up to the front. We paid way more money than we should have for three tickets to get into this barn. We walked, everything was contained in this one barn in the Aiken Fairgrounds. And every dinosaur inside of there looked like paper mache from the Jurassic period. And they were moving and making interesting sounds. And my wife and I were like, you've got to be kidding me. Every worker there was chain smoking cigarettes from the time we got there to the time we left. And like this, this is, you know how sometimes like there's, there's like what you hope for. And then there's like reality. This was this experience. So we walk in and we're walking around this barn looking at this velociraptor. And I'm like, what have we done? My wife and I look at each other. We spent so much. But then we looked at our son. Eli was having the time of his life. We walked through all the dinosaurs and they had this really dirty, like inflatable with all these children on it. And Eli was like, can I? We're like, why not? So he ran and jumped in and bounced in the mess and we just looked at each other and we're like, this is so crazy. But we decided to capture the joy. We could have, we could have neglected it, but we said, no, 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 this is, this is too good. This is one of those stories that you tell later on. And sure enough, <laughs> we've told this story over and over again. But we captured the joy when we could have missed it. It's not manufactured, it's captured. 
right after we had Murray, we had explained to the boys kind of how, how babies come into the world. And we were explaining certain things. And one of the things we were talking about was, was how water breaks, because it's a whole other story, but it's interesting. So we were explaining this whole thing to the kids. And, you know, we're trying to be honest with them and stuff. And so sure enough, one day we were walking to the kitchen and we could hear a noise in there and Owen was in there doing something. And so as we walked into the kitchen, my wife turned the phone on to film whatever was going on. And it turns out he had spilled milk all over the table in the, in the kitchen trying to get himself milk into a sippy cup. But what, what I want you to see is the reaction and the, um, the reasoning for why this has happened. So check out this video. My water broke. <laughs> my water broke and we had this moment where we could have been upset because you spilled milk all over the place wait for a parent to come help you like you don't do this by yourself we can help you but we decided not to we wanted to capture the joy of my six-year-old son saying my water broke for why the milk was all over the table you see every one of us man we have these moments in our life In some of these moments, it's so close between something something frustrating but something joyful, and we have a choice to make. Is this going to be something that I miss, that I have my eyes closed to, or am I going to have my eyes wide open to the joy that is being presented right here in front of me? Am I going to grab a hold of this joy because it has to be something that is captured? You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't manufacture it. It comes to us, and when it does, we need to have eyes open to see it. There's really three different places that I think that too often this joy comes, and if we're not careful, we miss out on it. And the first one is this, grief and joy. Grief and joy. In May of this year, I shared last week over in the contemporary space, May of this year, my father-in-law passed away after a long battle with, with cancer and then complications from surgery. And... It's been interesting because it's been, it's been a very painful time for my, my whole family as we've learned kind of how to live into this new normal. And my father-in-law was such an amazing guy and just such a great leader for our family. And so learning how to do this without him has been really, really difficult and kind of strange. But at the same time, we've had these moments now where we've gone back and watched videos of him just being goofy, you know, and listened to voicemails, messages he left to my, to my wife that are just hilarious. And it's, it's the fall season. It's his favorite time when he gets cool. He's a big Gamecock fan. Yesterday, he would have been so excited. His birthday is on Halloween. All these things kind of come back up again. And what we found, though, is on the opposite side of the grief that we feel, we at the same time feel so much joy, so much joy. Because what I've found is that grief and joy are two sides of the same coin. And the reason I think this is true is because there are people in this life who have experienced such intense grief and difficulty and sorrow and trial. And I believe those are the people that know not to overlook the beauty in life. But there are some of us that have never faced any kind of grief like this, that when when good things come, when the joy is right there in front of us, we completely overlook it. We never see it. But those who have experienced grief, they have these deep reservoirs for gratitude. For those who experience grief, they have this increased capacity to experience intense joy. Here's what it says in Psalm 126.5. The writer says it this way. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow in tears, they will reap with songs of joy. 
But here's what this means, I believe. The psalmist, this is a defiant psalm, a confession that even though we experience grief and trial and difficulty now, joy is yet to come. We will experience joy. You know, life may not be what we thought it would be, but it can still be good. It can still be good. And so for those of us this morning who have been sowing in tears, I wanted to encourage us just to know that there is still joy out there to be had. There's still joy to be seen and to be captured. The second place that we oftentimes miss out on this joy, I believe, is is hope and joy. Realizing the connections between hope and joy. You know, at the very depth of what it means to be a Christian, we believe in a God who is able to do anything. We believe in a God for which nothing is impossible. We live with this deep commitment and conviction that we always have constant hope in the future because anything is possible. I read this great story about this guy who walked up to a little league baseball game and he walked up to the dugout and there was a little boy sitting in the dugout. And the man said to the little boy, hey, son, what's the score? And the little boy looked at the man and said, well, it's 18 to zero and we're losing. The man said, wow, well, that must be pretty discouraging. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. And the little boy said, why would that be discouraging? It's 18 to zero, but we haven't even got up to bat yet. So, so there's like two ways of seeing something like this. It's 18 to 0. We'll never be able to overcome this. Or we haven't even got a shot yet. It's 18 to 0, but we haven't even batted yet. Who knows what could happen? You see, when you're a Christian, you believe in this Messiah, the Savior of the world, who was crucified, dead, and buried, laid inside of a tomb. But what happened three days later? He rose from the dead. He's alive today. If that is the God that we place our hope and our trust in, that means that we have incredible hope no matter what circumstance we face. Because it's never the end. There's always opportunity for something to come. My son, Eli, he is like the the eternal optimist. So yesterday, and last year, actually, when the Carolina Gamecocks played the Georgia Bulldogs, my son, before yesterday and the game last year, Dad, you think we could win? No, son, I don't think we can win. What do you mean we can't win? I'm like, well, we're just not very good. And they're very good. Yeah, but, but it's always a possibility, right? I'm like, well, I mean, technically, yes, it's probably a possibility, but probably not going to. And it's amazing. And so by the end of the game, Dad, we're going to win this. I'm like, no, we got five minutes left. It's plenty of time for us to pull a Gamecock. Like, I'm, I'm, and watching my son with this incredible hope. It just reminded me yesterday, just preparing for this message, like how often do I live with that kind of hope? Yeah, I know things are not good right now, but what could be? What could God do? I know right now things are hard, but, but our God is still at work. There's incredible hope and joy that's available to us. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Uh, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may be over so you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit see when the holy spirit lives and dwells inside of us this god of hope fills us with incredible joy knowing that it's never over there's always the possibility of god doing something amazing and that gives us hope and it instills with us deep joy now i think the headwaters of all joy comes from this last piece that I think is really, really important. This is salvation and joy. Salvation and joy. The truth is that as human beings, we live in a world that has been um, wrecked by sin. Sin has, has ruined 
everything, all that God had created that was so good, sin has come and ruined. And we as human beings, we have taken the brunt of this sinful effect. We choose to live our own life, do our own thing, disregard, disobey God. We find ourselves in all kinds of difficulty and pain. But the good news of the gospel is this. Though we could not save ourselves from this kind of wreckage, Jesus gave his life on a cross to save us for us. We couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus did it for us. This is called salvation. We needed to be saved, and Jesus saved us. It's the, it's the most elementary piece of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We needed to be saved, and Jesus saved us. Here's what it says in Psalm 51, verse 12, a prophetic piece about what's to come in the New Testament. The writer says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant within me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I've been in the church for a very long time. And what's a bit troubling to me is that the people who I've found to be the most grumpy, angry, disheartened, frustrated, oftentimes are folks who are also within the church. Not this church, of course. But if you're a Christian this morning and you're looking for a reason to be joyful, look no further than Psalm 51. You've been offered salvation. You needed to be saved and Jesus saved you. That's a reason for joy. That's a reason for deep-seated joy that has nothing to do with our circumstances, but it has everything to do about what's been done for us to rescue us. So here's my question today. Are you marked by joy? When people leave your presence, what do you think they feel? If someone were to try to describe you, someone who's close to you, how would they describe you? Do you see the world as intrinsically good? Do you see all that God has created as beautiful? Do you get invited to weddings? What kind of witness do you offer to the world in the way that you interact with Jesus and the way that you show that you are joyful about salvation? Maybe for some of us this morning, including myself, we need to go back and and look about cultivating a life of joy, cultivating a joyful life. I grew up in Indiana on a farm and my family raised hogs. And then we also, uh, we grew corn and soybeans. And for 11 years, we had a strawberry patch. And so for each and every year, I remember as a kid, my grandfather and my dad, they would take the tractors out and we would go and they would cultivate the ground. They would break the ground up and prepare it to make sure it was fertile soil for whatever they wanted to grow in that particular soil. And it was a big deal because sometimes that ground was really hard and sometimes it was full of rocks. And I remember as a kid, my cousins and I, we would drive the three-wheeler around in the field. We would pick up rocks to get all the rocks out. We'd get paid a penny a rock, which is a complete ripoff. But we would do it for hours and hours and hours to prepare the ground to get it ready for whatever crop was going into it. And so it's interesting to me that when the Bible talks about joy, one of the ways that it talks about it comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And here's what it says. It says, but the fruit of of the Spirit of God is love and what? Joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
One of the fruits of the Spirit, if we're a follower of Christ, one of the things that should be growing within us is joy. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And a fruit is some kind of produce, which would say to me that maybe one of the issues might be that our life, the soil of our life, is not conducive for that kind of thing to grow. So maybe we need to ask a question of ourselves. What kind of people do we surround ourselves with? What do we consider to be entertainment? What kind of atmosphere do we create for joy? When's the last time we served someone? When's the last time we read the Bible, spent time in prayer, practiced self-control? A joyful life does not happen by accident. A joyful life is a life that has an environment that has been cultivated for growth. And when when we see joy, we capture it and we hold on to it. We allow it to take root and grow within our life. And so this morning, my prayer for all of us would be this, that we would be people so marked by joy, not happiness, but joy, a deep-seated pleasure and contentment in the fact that God has created all things and he made it good. And God loves us and cares for us and he takes pleasure in us. What would happen if we were all to express that in the lives that we live in this community? I think things would change. And I think there's never been more of a time where this is important than right now. So would you join me this morning in prayer? Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, I want to first confess that too often in my life, I I do miss the joy that you've brought to me. I've missed opportunity, God, to see things as joyful. I've not captured them. I've let them go by. And I pray this morning, God, you would help me to have open eyes ready for the joy that you want to bring. I'm thankful, God, for your good creation. Help me to manage it well. I'm thankful, God, for the beauty of the fact that you love us and care for us and take delight in us. So, Father, I pray for every person right now in this room and those who are watching online and for myself. God, I pray that you'd help us to become people that are overwhelmed by joy in the midst of grief, overwhelmed by joy because of our salvation, overwhelmed by joy because of the hope of serving a God that can do all things. So we thank you, Lord, for this day. We look forward to all that you have for us. Help us to live joy-filled lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.